0: This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. Our scripture reading today is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verses 26-39. to They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order him to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. This is the Gospel of the Lord.
1: God of eternity, by the power of your Spirit, speak your word to us this day, that hearing we may know your truth and live ever more faithfully for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The passage that we just read... Gospel lesson uh, is going to be the centerpiece for today's message, and it's, it's really messed with me this week, I'll just to be honest with you. It's kind of, I don't know, I've been very uh, uneasy as I struggled through this passage, and there's a lot of reasons, and we'll get into that. For starters, I don't come from a culture or a faith tradition that has a lot of spiritual warfare language. Um, not a lot of casting out of demons, um, not a lot of talk of demon uh, possession or having these evil spirits in you. And, uh, and so a lot of times when I've heard this passage preached, it's about other aspects of the passage. And last week, uh, standing right over here, I was talking to my friend Isaac that asked me when he told him the, the passage I was preaching on, he said, are you going to talk about casting out demons? And the the instant thought in my head was, I really hope not. But I said, I don't know yet, because the Spirit is still forming this message for me. But anyway, I come from a place, we don't have a lot of rites and rituals. We do have some language of spiritual warfare. I mean, we pray. We pray against the forces of evil. We recognize that there is a battle going on for the soul of humanity between God and these forces that... uh, that the Bible speaks about quite prominently and that we see a lot in Jesus' ministry. But my first instinct when I started looking at this week's scripture passages was to choose a different passage because I just wasn't quite comfortable with it. But I decided to do the uncomfortable thing and just dive in to see where the Spirit led. I have a friend that used to train college students for summer missions trips to go overseas. We had about 150 students every year that come together for a couple of weeks of training before going out. And one of the courses that was always taught was a course called Spiritual Warfare. Because like I said, North America, there are parts of North America where you're going to hear more of this spiritual warfare language. There are faith traditions that speak more of it. But generally in America, we've kind of relegated the the demon-possessed language to uh, mental health issues and some of those things that you know, we kind of see, see, oh, we can diagnose that, we can medicate that, we can fix that, and we don't really talk about it. So it was good for these students to hear where you're going, you may encounter. And my friend who trained this always started off by saying, in the area of spiritual warfare, we often risk one of two things. Either we overpopulate the world with demonic activity, or we underpopulate the world with demonic activity. This week I read a theologian that kind of filled that out a little bit more. He said, Both of these approaches are a victory for the dark side. No one fights against what one does not believe is there. On the other hand, to be preoccupied with the demonic can produce a type of fixation. That does not reflect spiritual balance and can deflect taking spiritual accountability. The words of my friend used to teach in that class stuck with me. It's been maybe twenty-five years now that I've always had that in my head. And he he would go on to say the key to correctly populish, populizing, po- uh, finding the correct population of evil spirits in the world is through spiritual discernment, allowing God's spirit to guide you in this situation, when you're dealing with somebody with issues, or when you're dealing with issues in your own life, to allow the Spirit to inform the situation. Now, I'm certain in a group like this, we come from all different parts of the world, different cultures, different histories, different backgrounds, I don't want to start a big debate here today. So if you do take anything, issue with with anything that I have to say, feel free to email me. B-A-R-T be... I'm kidding. It's not going to be that bad, folks. Okay, let's just see where this goes. Before we get too deep into the passage, uh, I always like to get a little context into where that passage falls. And all of the gospel writers that talk about this particular story precede it with the story of the crossing of the lake. This picks up with Jesus getting out of the boat, stepping onto the on, onto the shore. And if you if you read from there, you don't understand that just before that was this harrowing trip across this, across this lake. This is the situation, if you're familiar, maybe you're not, but uh, Jesus and his disciples get in a boat to cross the lake. They're crossing over into Gentile territory, territory that is unclean. It is not uh, mostly Jewish people where he's spent most of his ministry so far. And in the middle of the, in the, middle of the sea, this storm arises and the waves come up. And, and these disciples, who some of them were fishermen, who were very comfortable in boats, became very terrified. And of course, Jesus was sleeping in the boat during all of this. And finally, they wake him and they say, don't you care that we're about to die? And he stands up, he tells the wind and the waves, calm down, and they listen. The wind and the waves stop. And in that moment, he looks to the disciples and he says, Oh, you of little faith. One of our favorite phrases to use with people sometimes, isn't it? Oh, you of little faith. So there's this moment of this this desperation, this fear. And then Jesus calms the storm, the wind and the waves. The disciples actually say, The wind and the waves listen to him. Who is this person? There's almost more fear after that than there was in the midst of the storm because the power of Jesus can often be frightening. Now, we then have this passage, and then following the passage is when he goes back across to uh, his Jewish territory, and he gets a a messenger from a leader in the synagogue who says, my daughter's very sick. In the midst of all that, a woman uh, presses in and touches his garment, and she's been sick for most of her life, and suddenly she is healed simply by touching the fringe of his prayer shawl. And then on top of that, the daughter that the the person comes to, to bring him to, to heal, she dies. So, he goes to the house and actually brings her back to life. So, once again, we have a, an example of the power of Jesus to change lives, to heal, to, to change the direction of a life. So, in this passage, we see Jesus and his disciples arriving in this Gentile area. Now, there's some debate. One One uh, gospel writer calls it one part of the country, another uses another name. So there's some debate as to what city and what all of that is. But there's no debate on the fact that this is a Gentile area. It is an unclean area. You can tell because there is a herd of pigs, right? a whole bunch of pigs that are around this area, which is a good indication that you're in an unclean area. So they arrive in this foreign and unclean land. The first thing they encounter is a man that is described as homeless and naked, he was living among the tombs, among the graves, among the dead. And on top of everything else, he had these evil spirits in him. The local villager's solution to this problem citizen had been had included placing him under guard, shackling him in chains. But whenever they would, the spirits would take control, break the chains, and drive him into an isolated place. Sometimes that's translated as a wilderness. Sometimes it's as a desert or a deserted place. Regardless of the translation, I think we understand that this man was very much alone. He was isolated. He was separated from his community. And probably to the overwhelming approval of his community. They didn't want this guy around. They were probably overjoyed when he was driven off on his own. Now, if you've read much of the Old Testament, you're familiar with the fact that the, the Jewish people are kind of big on clean and unclean. God gave a whole lot of rules to Moses to keep them clean and to what to do if you become unclean. Entire books about it. And uh, and if, if you probably find it, or you, you would probably find it difficult to describe a more unclean situation. Christ has entered into Gentile land. He sees a bunch of pigs right next to him. This man was likely a Gentile. He was naked. He lived among the dead, something that was also considered very unclean. He'd been battling some type of demon party that was going on inside of him. It had been ravaging him for years. So, if there had actually been a unclean bingo card, this probably would have been a winner. They checked all of them off. They knew this was an unclean situation. This was so far out of Jesus' element. He wasn't operating in the synagogues. He wasn't teaching among the people who were like him, the Jews. He wasn't in a clean environment. He stepped out of that. He crossed the sea into this very, very unclean area. The man sees Jesus, and he instantly drops to his knees and declares. Well, he screams, really, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, what do you want with me? Please don't torment me. And Jesus simply asks him his name. Then he negotiates what will happen when he forces these demons out of this man. And then he simply does it. Sends them out into the pigs. The pigs flee, drown in the in the sea in the lake, and then sets the man free. Now, this may be a touch sacrilegious. I apologize. If you were here last time that I preached, I told you I was a child of the seventies and eighties, and I spent a lot of time watching TV. Do you remember that? Some of you maybe. There was a TV commercial that I distinctly remember. It was one of the most popular commercials. It was a McDonald's commercial because that's what America does, right? We make McDonald's commercials. And here's how it it started. There was a dimly lit arena with a basketball court lit in the center. At the top of the key at the free throw line somewhere in there was was a tall, pale man Bouncing a basketball and shooting baskets. Then, off to the side, on the, un- the, the, the dim lit bench, the, the seats on the side, a man walks in with a McDonald's bag. Now, this man was fit and strong and didn't look like he had ever once eaten a Big Mac. Okay? But he sits down and starts to open the bag. And the guy in the court says, What you got? And it zooms in, and the man on the court is a a gentleman named Larry Bird. Now, Larry Bird was one of the greatest basketball players of his era. And the man on the bench was Michael Jordan. Some of you may have heard of him. Michael Jordan had recently transformed the way the NBA was played. So you had the old guard and the new guard. Michael Jordan said, I have a Big Mac, fries, and a Coke. And Larry Bird looks at him and says, I'll play you for them. And Michael Jordan smiles, that, that winning smile that he has. And, he, and, and, and Larry says, first one to miss has to watch the other one eat it. And then he said, no dunks. Because obviously Michael Jordan was known for his slam dunks. Larry Bird was not. So then this shooting contest begins. Where it starts off with them in the middle of the court, and you know they just make these easy shots, and then next thing you know, they're standing on the other side of the court, out of bounds, and they're shooting all the way across the court, swish, swish, everything goes in. Then they start going to the top of the stands, and they're like, off the scoreboard, two bounces, nothing but net. So they shoot it, and obviously, awesome camera work, takes this and bounces it off to this, and it goes in, no problem. And it continues this way until finally they are standing on top of one of the tallest buildings in Chicago. And one of them says, Off the bridge, over the river, off the street, through the window, off the blackboard, nothing but net. And that's where it ends, giving the impression that these two men could not outshoot each other. They were able to make every shot, no matter how challenging. And I kind of, as I was reading this passage about Jesus in this situation, this unclean situation with all of these demons that are inside this man and his situation of, of being isolated, living among the dead, all this stuff, and then this conversation with Legion where Legion says, please, please, please don't send us to the abyss, let us go into the pigs. So Jesus says, okay, and he they go into the pigs. And of course, we know the pigs go into the abyss, kind of a trick shot, like a, you know, nothing but net kind of moment for Jesus. That was my sappy Father's Day joke, okay? That was as good as it gets, I'm sorry. But this situation for Jesus is one of, the, one of the most complex miracles that we see him perform. I mean, there are bigger ones. There's obviously he came back from the dead. That's a pretty big one. We celebrate that one a lot. But as far as all of the different elements that were taking place, this is like off the bridge over the river, through the window, off the blackboard, nothing but net. So, Jesus does this. He casts the demons out. Demons go into the pigs. The pigs go into the ocean. Everybody cheers, right? Well, wrong. The pig herders are pretty upset. That was their entire financial income for the year, probably. They lost the whole herd. They lost their livelihood. The people in the city are mad because their local economy is going to be shaken. But not only that... They come to see, and the man who they had driven off, the man that they had shackled, the man that they had guarded, the crazy guy everybody avoided, is sitting in his right mind, clothed at the feet of Jesus. And now they have to be reminded of the way they treated him. He's normal. That's a big issue for the town. So they tell Jesus and his disciples, you must leave the area now. So they get back in the boat, get ready to leave. This is the entire time they spent in this unclean area, risked life and limb to cross in the storm for this one event in this area. And of course, the man, the man who is now in his right mind and wearing clothes, he wants to go with Jesus. He wants more of that that he's experienced. He's, his life has been changed, and he wants to go with the one who changed it. But Jesus says, No. Your job is to stay here and tell your family and tell those in the town what God has done for you. So let's go a little bit deeper. There's a few things that stood out to me in this passage this week. First off, while Luke was describing this man's situation, he writes, when he saw Jesus, he fell down before him, shouted at the top of his voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you not to torment me. Whether these are the sentiments of the man, or if the demons have taken over his voice at this point, and are, are, they're, the, they're the thoughts of the, the evil realm that's in him, it's not clear. I suppose it could be both. They both have reasons. It's clear why there's a certain fear of what Jesus' presence means. For the man, he recognizes that whenever these demons are confronted, whenever the town folk chain him, the demons take over break the chains, and drive him once again into an isolated place. From the perspective of the demonic realm, there is this, what later stated, this fear of the abyss. They're afraid of going back to where they came from. And so maybe they are the ones that are yelling, don't torment us, don't send us back to the abyss. But instead of getting drawn into the who's and how's of this man's demonic situation, we can likely agree on a few things. First off, his condition has created isolation from society, from his community. Second, it has created self-destructive behavior in his life. And third, he likely feels trapped in this demonized state. Not a lot of hope in his heart you may have or you may be currently feeling one or all of those types of things certainly it doesn't take a legion of demons to drive us to any of these outcomes sin itself can struggles with mental health can trauma can and certainly demonic forces can all a long long list of things can bring us into this isolated, self-destructive sense of hopelessness. But then, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, sails up and enters the scene. Jesus steps up and shows his power and his ability to confront the forces of evil, regardless of the geography regardless of the number of demons, the personal isolation, the risk, Jesus walks into the situation and commands control. As I was reading, I also found it significant as to how Jesus really is described as simply presenting himself in this situation. He never really walks into a situation with a superhero pose. Never puffs out his chest, hands on hips, wind blowing his hair, saying, I am here to save the day. Most of the time, it says he walked up, or someone walked up to him, or he sat down, or he knelt down. He took the hands of These are not aggressive words for such a powerful savior. One might even see some of these as timid. But I suppose when you are the most powerful being that currently walked the earth, you didn't necessarily need to puff out your chest and prove your might. I was reminded in this time uh, of study of... The way that C.S. Lewis portrayed the Christ character in his children's book series, Narnia. If you're not familiar, there's some brothers and sisters who are taken to this land um, that was created for these animals. The animals are sentient. They speak, they think, they talk, and there's, there's all kinds, not just like regular animals we have on earth, but there's mythical animals as well. And the Christ figure... In this story is a lion named Aslan. And when the brothers and sisters are brought into the land, they're at the home first of Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, who, if you have not read the book, are beavers. They are trying to describe Aslan, the lion, the Christ character, to these newcomers. And this is what is said. You will understand when you see him "'But shall we see him?' asked Susan. "'Why, daughter of Eve, that is what I brought you here for. I am to lead you where you shall meet him,' said Mr. Beaver. "'Is is he a man?' asked Lucy. "'Aslan, a man?' said Mr. Beaver sternly. "'Certainly not. "'I tell you, he is the king of the wood "'and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea.' Don't you know who is the King of Beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver, if there is anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking. They're either braver than most or just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He is the king, I tell you. And I always appreciated how C.S. Lewis helped us understand the understated power of Jesus. Now, I didn't grow up around lions. Some of you may have. My experience with them was in zoos, TV shows, and at the beginning of the movies when they had that lion that roared for MGM. Okay, that was about it for me. But I grew up and moved overseas, and one day found myself at this rather interesting zoo in China. This zoo, my first thought when I was there, it reminded me a little bit of Jurassic Park. All of the animals were down below in big steel, fenced-off areas. I mean, there was habitats. There was places for them to run and and play and whatnot. But you were up on this walkway above them and you could go you know all over, all over the place and they had this interesting money uh fundraising program at this zoo where you could pay a little bit of money and feed the animals now that sounds like something you maybe you could get away with doing in a different way but what this meant was you bought a live chicken and they handed it to you and you chose Which cage you were going to drop it in? Well, I was just new to this whole thing and thought, that's fun. So I paid. They handed me my chicken. I took a picture with it. This was before selfies, so I took a picture, me and the chicken. The chicken was shaking. (laughs) I held the chicken out over the lion area. In the lion area, there was this pride of lions that were all sitting over here, licking their chops, getting excited, see them start to flex their muscles, move their feet. But off over the farthest part, on a little mound of dirt, was, I assume, the the leader of the pride. The big male, beautiful mane, sound asleep. Not moving a whisker. Looked like you could just snuggle in there, into that mane. So, I'm holding the chicken and I'm looking at these folks down here, thinking this is going to be interesting. And the chicken lets off this sound that I start to feel really guilty after. I still hear it in my head, it's just like, oh. And it's looking at me and I'm like, okay, we're going to turn you around and look the other way because I can't. Suddenly I'm rethinking this whole thing, like this is not a good idea. I'm feeling really, really bad for the chicken. And I understand circle of life and all of that stuff, but anyway, I drop the chicken and out of the corner of my eye, the male, from a dead sleep, is bounding towards that chicken, beats every other one of the pride that were ready to go, and just snatches that thing up, takes it back, and eats it. And I thought, oh my goodness. That thing just went from, I would like to snuggle up in its mane, to get me out of here like that. And I always think about that when I hear this description of Aslan, when I think about the descriptions and comparisons of him to to Jesus, because Jesus' personality, his his, uh, presence among people is so gentle and so loving and so kind. But when he walks into the presence of evil, they are terrified of his presence. And he is able to speak and calm the seas. He is able to speak and the demons flee. He can have someone touch the hem of his jacket and be healed. And that's scary kind of power. And the people in the city, they went right there and they said, we don't want any of that here. We want you gone. This passage, we see that kind of graceful power in Jesus. Actually, all the stories we see before this one following showing Jesus dangerously, how, how Jesus is dangerously powerful. He steps off the boat. The man suddenly says, in fear, what is it that you want of me? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I beg you not to torture me. The passage after this, the woman's been sick for a long time, all of that, dangerously powerful examples of God of God working through him. This kind of power is life-changing power. Frankly, it's a, world, a world-changing kind of power. In our story today, it was the kind of power that transformed a naked, demonized man who was living amongst the tombs in isolation into a well-dressed, well-mannered man in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus like his disciples were it took a man who was isolated from his community tormented self destructive and hopeless and gave him new life and jesus spoke into his deepest need and his deepest hurt and he redeemed that man he took the man who was in the village who the village was afraid of had cast out and he and, and had avoided and jesus ended up commanding him to be the messenger of the gospel to those That chained and feared him. And the good news for us today is that we still have access to that graceful yet fear inspiring power offered through Jesus Christ. You may be currently living with some demons of your own. They may not look like, sound like Legion, but as we talked about earlier, it may not take on the form, it it may not look like a demon. It may take on the form of addiction, trauma. Broken relationships, any number of things that drive you into isolation. You don't have to be naked, unclean, living among the graves to have this kind of torment. Many of us have polished things up nicely on the outside, but still have that torment on the inside. But the powerful mercy of Jesus can free us from the worst of evils. He was able to free this man from a legion of spirits, he was able to redeem him, reclaim his life as a testament to God's saving grace, and he can do that for you today. It may not look the same as casting out a demon into a herd of pigs. It may take on the look of slower progress, like meeting with a doctor, a psychiatrist, mental health professional, it may be meeting with a family member whose your relationship has been broken. These are tools that we have today to help in some of these situations, but don't hear me wrong, these tools are often unsuccessful ones when used apart from the healing, redeeming power of Jesus. This Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, you must encounter Him, you must offer Him your all the good and the bad, for this kind of freedom to be found. And one other thing as we close today, you may have already found this kind of freedom. Some of us here have already um, been released from a lot of those demons by Jesus. Or you may not have even experienced this kind of isolated, self-destructive, hopeless state. And for that, I say, thanks be to God. But we must look at the end of this passage if we're in that place. The man who had found freedom from legions, from legion's grip, his first instinct was to go with Jesus and his followers, to surround himself with the things that have brought healing and hope and excitement. He wants to learn more. He wants to do more. He wants to be involved with those people. But Jesus' response was to tell him to stay in the midst of those who were driving Jesus away. He was to be the messenger of God in his own community. Those of us who have found the saving freedom in Jesus are also called to speak into the lives of the lost, to be messengers of those who push Jesus away, to tell others what Jesus has done for you. Jesus has the power to radically change lives. He did it for me. He's done it for many of you. And he can do it for anyone who welcomes him. We're going to close. I'm going to pray. And I just want to say, if anyone here is really struggling with some of the stuff that I talked about, I'm going to stay down here in front. I'd be happy to pray with you. But find somebody that you can pray with if, if you're really searching through some of this. Let's pray together. Father God, the creative way that you came to earth to confront the sins of man, to offer redemption, to offer freedom, is beyond our our understanding. And we just thank you for that. We thank you for your willingness. To not count out those who society has counted out. To not isolate those that the world has isolated. But that your desire is to draw them into community. To free them from whatever is tormenting them, is destroying them, is demonizing them. And sending them back into the world to be a testament to you. Use us, Lord, to be your hands, to be your feet to be your example of your graceful power In your name i pray amen
0: this podcast was from tbilisi international christian fellowship learn more about us online at ticf-georgia.org thanks for listening